So it was about this time last year. If you recall, if you can go there, we were all locked down. It was something that none of us thought would happen. And it just so happened there was a nice day. And um, we were up with my, living with my in-laws during this time. And that was not too far from where uh, my wife, Stephanie's grandmother, lived. She recently had a couple of pine trees that were sick and they had been cut down. And she has an immaculate lawn. It's fantastic. And yet where these trees were taken out, it left these kind of bald spots. So my father-in-law and I, around this time last year, we, we went with some grass seeds, some rakes, and some straw. And we went, you know, leveled the ground, tossed down all the grass seed, tossed all, all the straw. You know, you can see here, it's a decent size area. Not, not too big, not too small. It probably took us an hour or so to do all that. Not, not that hard. But it was somewhere as we were beginning to clean up, getting the rakes put away and all that, that something felt funny. I realized that something I had been wearing earlier that day, I was no longer wearing. Somewhere in the midst of all that work and tossing all this down, and some of you are quick, <laughs> I had lost my wedding band. I had lost my grandfather's wedding band that matches Stephanie's, who's, where's my grandmother's wedding band. So in the midst of this pretty 40 square foot area, and all this grass, seed, and dirt, we just did all this work. We didn't want to disturb it, but at the same time, we wanted to find this. And, and some of you already know that feeling, right? When you, when you lose something of subs of, uh, that's substantial to you, right? Maybe a little bit more substantial than the TV remote or your car keys. <laughs> but even still, then, you, you immediately start, your mind begins to race. You, you try to retrace your steps. Well, was I wearing it? And, and did, I, did I feel it come off? Or where could it be? Maybe it's in the lawn somewhere else. Did it come off while I was working? And, and then you can go through like this like kind of sporadic emotions and thoughts of going like, well, surely it's here, right? It's, it's here. We're going to find it. And then you can swing to the other side and you can be like, there's no way I'm ever going to find this thing. There's no way. So we pulled over some other family members and got down on hands and knees and, and looked for it. And all along, that time as we're looking for it, and my heart is just tossed to and fro. Like, I just don't know if it's going to be found. And maybe that's you this morning. In this series, we've been talking about doubt. And I believe that this concept, this idea of trying to be hopeful, trying to pro project out a positive future, despite your circumstances, is, is a difficult thing for us to grasp. Over the last couple of weeks, we talked about the idea of us doubting even our own faith, our ability to believe in God. And last week, we talked about doubting God's love towards us. And if you haven't heard this before, know this. There, there's no reason to doubt God's love towards you. It is unchanging. And today, this concept of hope. So we've talked about faith, love, going back to, to hope. Because I believe it, it's a hard one for us to grasp. But there's a question. I actually, this, this is a simple question, but one that maybe shows if you're a hopeful person or not. Where do you see yourself in five years? I asked my four-year-old this question last night. You know what he said? In the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> You're hired. You got the job. <laughs> I had not heard that. He was a clever kid. But maybe you've heard this in an interview. Maybe you and your spouse have pondered this. If, if you're a student, surely somebody has asked you this question. What, where are you going to go to school? Or what, what career path? What major? All that sort of stuff. Is You're trying to project out a future. But even more so than just the circumstantial things that could be going on in your life, what, what's happening now and what will happen in five years, how will your personal uh, emotion be? If today you feel like emotionally 
psychologically you're, you're a five, I in a year, two years, three years, where do you think you're going to be? And see, psychologists use this question to try to determine, are you hopeful or are you maybe slipping into depression or despair? Because if you think you're a five today, and someone asks you, where do you see yourself in five years, and you say seven, well, then you're, you at least have some semblance of hope. You think that things will get better, you will be okay, you will be better. But if someone was to ask you, how are you doing today, and you said a five, and then they asked you, how are you going to do in five years, you said, I think I'm going to be a three. Do you feel the weight of that? Like, why? Why would you think that things are going to be worse later on, that your circumstances are going to be worse, but maybe even you as a person are going to be doing worse? And I think right now, all of us, we, you know, this, this five-year question can be tossed out because none of us thought that we would be here like this a year ago, right? So maybe even as you see that question, you might think, five years, Ben? Really? Like, I'm trying five days right now, <laughs> right? And we're just, we're just kind of playing it by ear and continuing to pivot and change things as we need to. But there has to be something that we have confidence and hope in in the future for us to be actually healthy individuals, to be hopeful individuals. And the thing is, I think our culture, our society, we use this word of hope and the idea of hope so much differently than it is written in scripture. You see, one of the ways that we use it can just be really flippant. It can just be about optimism, about circumstances, or just wishful thinking, and that's not what hope is. You know, hope you have a great trip. I mean, there's not a lot of weight behind that, right? It's just kind of tossed out there, just wishful thinking. I hope things work out. I hope it goes well. Hope I get to go to Disney World. That there's not a lot behind that. But then we think that there's this, well, there's the, 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 the more meaty, meaningful version of hope that we all live with, and that's expectation. But it's not just simply expectation. Hope is not that simple that, uh, well, if I, if I propose, I, I expect she'll say yes, that we're expecting a child, that you expect a better future. And if you're a Lions fan here this morning and you expect them to go to the playoffs, <laughs> that's called delusion. <laughs> that's not hope. And there are people that'll pray with you after the service. But I think that we, we stop there as people. We stop thinking like, okay, that's just expectation. But, but that's not what scripture says what hope is. It's not how it translates. It's, it translates closer to the Christian hope being something that's certain and sure. There is confidence. This thing, I don't see it yet, but I know it to be true. That is the Christian hope. And I think that oftentimes we lose sight of that just thinking like, if you were even asked, like if you were to pass today, would you go to heaven? Like, I hope so. Well, it shouldn't be that expectant hope. Like, I, I, I really wish it would happen, but it should be the confident hope. Like, I know so, not just hope so. And so we see in scripture, uh, there's this, we're going to be hanging out in a text in Hebrews chapter 6 and also jump into the Old Testament a little bit. And the writer of Hebrews here had just finished telling his audience that I want you to remain faithful. I want you to remain in the faith. I want you to live out your faith. I want you to be patient. I want you to persevere. I want you to trust. I want you to have hope. And now the author is giving us an example that the audience would have been familiar with. He gives us the example of Abraham and how Abraham actually was a great example of how we are called to live out hope and why he was actually able to be a hopeful person. See, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, it says, for example, there was God's promise to Abraham. And since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name. This is one of the many times that God is making a promise to this guy, Abraham. And he says this to him. He says, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. 
Then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. Now, if you're unfamiliar with this story, let me just rewind a little bit. God identified Abraham after the world had fallen into sin, after the flood. He identified this guy, Abraham, and said, I'm going to call you out of your land. I'm going to call you out of your home at roughly 80 years old. And then he makes this promise to him, which is so curious. He says, I'm going to bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Yet Abraham in his old age, along with his wife Sarah in her old age, had no children whatsoever. This is like a bizarre thing. Well, how, why would he think that he would be able to be a father of many descendants of a great nation, yet he has no kids? And then it says that he, he waited patiently, and here's the focus, on what God had promised to him. He focused on the promise that God had given him. And he waited patiently, but he didn't wait perfectly. Somewhere along the line in waiting, years and years, let that sink in for a second. We've all just lived through a year unlike any other year that any of us have lived. Is anyone looking to repeat that 25 times? <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Yet Abraham is living this, this in-between life. God has made the promise, but it's not realized yet. And that's where hope is required, in between. And somewhere in between, his hope, his faith, it, it, it faltered a little. Because him and Sarah conspired and had this idea. You know what? God promised the great nation. We, we, we definitely believe that. God promised it. Maybe we need to help God a little bit. Maybe Sarah's servant would be a great route for us to have descendants instead of Sarah. Yet even in the midst of their sin and them doubting, God remained faithful to what he had promised. And, and after 25 years of waiting, they had a son Isaac in their old age, which is an amazing thing. God was a man of his word. He promised it, and it came true. But then what's so curious is that we see later in Genesis that that very son, Isaac, would, which had been promised to Abraham, which he had been waiting patiently for, which he had hoped for, God, in this bizarre series of events, asked Abraham to make a sacrifice, which wouldn't have been that, that odd, but he asked him to sacrifice the very thing that he had been hoping for. He'd been hoping for a son, and so he leads his own son, Isaac, up a mountain to go and be sacrificed, which as we look elsewhere in Scripture seems so bizarre because God hates child sacrifice. Yet in that moment, he's testing Abraham's faith. He's testing where is Abraham placing his confidence his certainty, where is he placing his hope? Because here's this child that he thought, this is, this is it, this is what God had promised. And he's asking to lay it on the line. Here it is, how much do you believe in me? And we don't get a glimpse into what Abraham was thinking in that moment. Maybe he was thinking that if God had been faithful across those 25 years and he's given me this son, maybe he'll resurrect him. Maybe he'll provide another son. Maybe, I, I don't know why God's doing this, but I know that God is a God of his word. And if he tells me to do something, then I'm gonna do it. Yet God knew all along that even as he called Abraham to do that, that he wasn't going to have him follow through. And God himself stops Abraham and says this to him, I swear by him myself. And that's where we see later in Hebrews that he says he took an oath on his own name. I swear by myself, on my own name, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, 
and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And that this is great news for us this morning because if you don't find some same genetic code with the person of Abraham, you're still connected to this promise because we're all blessed, all nations, all of us here this morning through this promise, not only the promise made to Abraham, but the promise that was realized in the person of Jesus. And God, God had to swear by his own name because nothing was greater. There was nothing else that he could swear on, and we see that clearly elsewhere. But then this is also interesting to note. In all the promises that God made to Abraham, most of them are positive. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless all the nations. But there's also this one that we see in Genesis chapter 15. When God's making a covenant with Abraham, uh, and, and he said to him, know for certain, have confidence. You can place your hope in this. This certainly is going to happen. That your offspring will be sojourners. They're going to travel into a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants. They're going to be slaves there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. Now that doesn't sound like good news. But the reality is that God is faithful to what he says. And he promised this to him, know for certain, not that you're placing your hope in the fact that this is going to happen. It is going to happen, yet the whole world is going to be blessed through you. The reality is that sometimes, for some of those generations that lived within that 400-year period, they were afflicted and they were enslaved. And their circumstances pointed to the fact that they should have absolutely no hope. But their hope wasn't in their situation. Their hope was in a promise and the person who was behind the promise that there was still going to be a better future to come, even in the midst of everything that they were facing. And so back into Hebrews, it says, now when people take an oath, talking about this idea that Abraham had followed uh, through with listening to God and his promise and his oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. That's like swearing on your mother's grave, right? But there's no way that God could swear on anyone or anything greater than him. So he swears on himself. And without any question, the oath is binding. And God also bound himself with an oath so that those who receive the promise could be perfectly sure. It's not wishful. It's not dreaming. It's not just simply expecting, but perfectly sure, confident, certain that he would never change his mind because God doesn't change. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. God is unchangeable. He is still the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And when he says something's going to pass, when, when he makes a promise, you can be sure in it. He's more than just simply a man of his word, but he's a God who's created all things. And if he says it's going to be so, it's going to be that way. And therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. And maybe this is where you are right now. Now, maybe you need some place to flee to. Maybe you need some sort of refuge because you feel like your life is in a tailspin. And it's more than just faith. It's more than just faith for today, but some sort of hope for tomorrow. And you might be in that spot where if I was to ask you that question, how are you going to be doing in a couple months? How are you going to be doing in a couple years? And all of a sudden, you think you're going to be doing worse off than you are right now. Statistically, there's someone that's dealing with that here, right? Going into despair and into depression and having a hard time being able to see a positive future. And the reality of hope, as Christian hope, it is not psychological, it's theological. 
It has less to do with our emotions and our feelings, and it has more to do with our confidence in what we believe to be true and what we place our trust in. Because the reality is we all place our trust in something, and what is it that you've been placing your trust in? What have you been placing your hope in? What have you been expecting for, trusting that if this works out, if I get into this school, if I get into this program, if I get the job, if I get the house, if anybody's in the housing market, you need a lot of hope right now. (laughs) It's tough out there. We all trust in something, and you realize what what you actually place your trust in when it fails you. And as soon as that fails you, you realize that everything is shifting sand other than God's word. Everything can falter. Everything can fail. If it's your finances, if it's your own family, things can, they can fail. They might not live up to the fact that you can totally and completely depend on those things. And that's why this next verse is good news to us today and is one of my favorite verses within all of Scripture, is that we, you and I, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. I just love that verse. It, it just like, it, it, it settles my soul to know the fact that my hope is not placed in anything else. Not a situation, not a circumstance, not me projecting out some sort of future that I'm expecting and hoping for, but it's actually placed in a promise. It's actually placed in the person behind the promise. Jesus Christ, who is the anchor. And you, this is interesting. Do you know the Greek word for anchor? It's anchor. Uh, and <laughs> so back then, they use anchors much in the same way that we do. So if you had a boat, you would take heavy rocks, tie a rope around it, you would toss it over your boat because you wanted to stay in the same spot. And there's probably two things that I can think of that you would need to do if you're boating. If you're out fishing, if you're out doing something on the water, if you need to drop anchor, it's because you want to stay in that spot because you don't want to get pushed by the wind or a current or there's a storm and you're out to sea and you need to drop anchor so you stay steady. The reality is, for many of us, if things are going okay and we're trusting in other things, but we don't have an anchor, we'll all of a sudden feel distant from God. We'll feel separate. We'll feel, like, where did he go? Where, where is, why isn't God acting in my life anymore? Why can't I hear his voice? What's happening? Maybe we're so focused on so many other things. Maybe we're clinging to so much else, trying to find some sort of footing that's not going to be found in anything other than Jesus. And then for many others of us, it's not just drift. It's not being pushed by the wind slightly or a little current. It is you're in a full-on thunderstorm. There is something that is difficult. There is something that's disappointing you. There is something that is leading you to despair so that when you look ahead, you don't see a good future. You think you're going to capsize. And the reality is that you need an anchor to hold you secure. And that anchor is a weighty thing that is going to keep you steady and firm. And the reality is that when you drop an anchor and you're in a storm like that, when there's something that's pushing you, when there's wind and wave, what happens is your boat will steady itself and it'll actually let all the wind and waves push beyond it as the boat looks forward to the anchor right in front of it. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to drop anchor, to place our hope, our certain hope that if Jesus was willing to come and put on the same flesh as you and I, to die on a cross, to defeat sin, death, and the devil, and to leave an empty grave, that we can have confidence if he's willing to do that, then all the other promises towards us from God are certainly going to come to pass. And if you are that person right now that is finding yourself at the end of your rope, will realize this, there's an anchor at the end of it. 
that if you have him at the end of your rope, that's when you know that an anchor is working, when you're in a storm, when you're being pulled, when you're being pushed, that's when the anchor's doing its job. If things are going all right, you can still drop an anchor, but you might not feel the fact that there's tension in that line and he's doing something. Because here's the reality, where is Jesus right now? Where is your anchor at? He not only came in, f- in the flesh, he died for you, but now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for you. That He is anchored to where we will be. And that we can have confidence in that. that. That's what our hope is actually in. That's what our certainty is in. It is not in the fact that things are going to go well in this world. It is in the fact that no matter how hard things get, no matter how dark your life might be, that you have confidence for the next life which is something that is hard for us to understand that the glory that we will once have, like when we are resurrected, that is a hope that we can have. But for today, Jesus even tells us that we're not supposed to worry about the stuff of this world. Uh, another one of my favorite verses comes out of Matthew chapter 6. is this reminder that we all need that don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And this, this verse is following the idea that some people worry about clothes. You worry about what you're going to eat. You worry about what you're going to do. You're worrying about all this stuff that happens around us every day. But don't worry about it. It's in his hands and seek his kingdom rather than seeking your kingdom, rather than putting your trust in all this other stuff. Be certain that he's at work in your life. And more so than that, that he's simply just at work, but this, this, this glory of heaven that we have set before us because Jesus also told his disciples this in John chapter 14. My father's house has many rooms, If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. It's oftentimes that when we lose a loved one, especially a believer, that we have these types of thoughts pass through our mind. But it could even be a daily thing that we look to the fact that Not only do we have a God that cares about us and cares about our circumstances, but he's actually preparing a place for you. That no matter what happens, and if the worst thing happens and you lose your life in this temporal world, that you have confidence of eternity. And so for today, as we look to that, as we look to heaven, as we look to place our certainty and our hope in that, here are just a few things that that we need to be reminded of as we place our hope in Jesus, as we trust in him as our anchor. It is this, that maybe you feel alone. Maybe you feel like there's nobody else that understands. Nobody else has gone through this situation. There's no one that understands. God is with you in the middle of that storm. That that is a promise that he has made to you, that his presence is with you. And then he is going to provide. There is going to be provision for your life. That he provides all that you need, not all that you want, But right now, in Jesus, you have everything that you need. Actually, going back to Abraham, when he was about to sacrifice his son Isaac, and God intervened and said, don't do it. I'm still going to uphold this promise I made to you. Abraham turns and he calls God Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord provides because the Lord provided a ram that was going to be sacrificed in the place of Isaac, and he has now provided Jesus to be sacrificed in our place. 
and everything that you need, that you have Jehovah Jireh, that you have a God who provides, that he is not only with you, but he's giving you everything that you need in this situation. And if it's just simply that you need a sense of peace, then he'll give that to you. And for many of us, it's the fact that we need a sense of hope. And he gives us that to us, not only in his promise, but in the person of Jesus. And he gives us power. And it's not that he gives us power that we're supercharged in some way, but it's in our weakness. It's in the fact that left unto our own devices, we're going to be pushed around. And the power is the fact that in our weakness, he is strong. And that he provided us Jesus as an anchor for our soul. And sometimes it's in that weakness. Sometimes it's when you're drawn down to your knees and forced to your knees that, that God is the one that you realize is still strong in the midst of all of that. And it was actually while I was on my knees looking through all the straw and the dirt and the grass seed that we just put down that we had to fix afterwards that I did find my wedding ring And luckily, a, a jeweler from the last service let me know he'll help me resize that, so it shouldn't happen again. <laughs> and even if I didn't find it, my, my hope wasn't in the fact of a, of a ring, which means a lot to me, but maybe not a lot to everybody else. But things may go well or they might not go well. Things might be difficult and you might have a season of ease, but the fact remains is that you have a hope in your life right now. You have a hope. You have 100% certainty and I don't want that to, to just kind of go in one year and out the other, but you can be certain, not wishful, not just expecting, but you can be certain that God who began a good work in you, he's going to bring it to completion, that he's given you Jesus as an anchor for your soul, that things can go w wrong, that your body can fail and become weak, but your soul is firm and secure because it's in the hands of your Savior. And what he promised will come to pass. And that, what would that look like? For us to be people, in the midst of all that's going on in this world right now, and how things continually change, and how much the controversy is out there, that despite what's going on, that we can still be a people that look different because we're marked by hope. We're people that project out a better future, and hope that it's going to be better today, but know ultimately that there's a much better plan for us, because there's a place being prepared for you. Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you for your word and thank you for this reminder that in these times that feel so uncertain and in these times in our lives that sometimes feel dark and lead us to despair. God, that you are right there with us and you are holding us in your hands, firm and secure. God, I pray that each of us would be able to take our eyes away from the things that we so often tend to trust in and that we tend to lean on that, that God just are not as trustworthy as we believe, but that we would be able to fix our eyes on your son, the anchor, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who began our faith and he's going to bring it to completion. God, I pray that we would be people that live each and every day certain that there is a better future coming and that future is with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.